Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. A couple of things I wanted to point out. The first is how the Trump allies are working to undermine the January 6th committee. The Republicans are betting that they're going to be able to take the House back in November and shut down this committee that's investigating what is arguably the most, or one of the most, maybe second to the Civil War, uh, the second most uh, egregious attack on American democracy in the history of our republic. The second most traitorous and treasonous act in the history of our republic. One that is to this day defended by hundreds of elected Republicans across the country. And the strategy that they're using is to run out the clock. It's very straightforward. Uh, it, you know, Steve Bannon, for example, they subpoenaed him. He said, nope. It took a couple of weeks to get that turned into, uh, you know, a House vote to hold him in contempt. And then it took a couple of weeks to get that to the Department of Justice to open an investigation and convene a grand jury. And now, you know, the, his trial is scheduled for June, I think, or July. And uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm guessing he can delay it even farther. And, and that was a year ago that Steve Bannon was indicted, essentially, or was subpoenaed, excuse me. Now we've got people who are being subpoenaed right now. And a year from now, the committee may well not be there if the Republicans succeed in taking the House. This is their strategy. And yeah, we've got this thing called due process. There is a legal process that things have to go through. You have to jump through all these hoops. But what I find just abhorrent, just, just reprehensible, is that the Republican Party is supporting these efforts to disrupt the January 6th committee that they are nakedly and openly cheerleading these kind of efforts and doing everything they can to obstruct the efforts of this committee. Elected Republicans. To the point of pushing Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger out of their party, they have surrendered any right to call themselves a legitimate American political party, in my opinion, by endorsing this treason this attack on the United States of America and on our democracy. So we'll see how it plays out, but I just wanted to get that off my chest. In just a moment, I want to get into the piece that I wrote this morning. Actually, yesterday afternoon, a great piece on how corrupt the Supreme Court is, which I will roll out at some point in the future. But uh, when Louise and I woke up this morning at, at 5.30, it was like, whoa. Look at this, uh, all this information about Trump, Putin, and the Saudi connection to raised oil prices. And so I had to write this piece, exposed, you know what that means. Want to know why gas costs so much? Well, Trump may be long out of power, but the impact of his corrupt treachery lives on. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Also, as Russian oil sanctions were put together, Fox and Friends repeated the network's top four lies about gas prices. I'll share those with you. Also, this uh, lawmaker in Missouri wants to make it a crime for a woman in Missouri, after they've shut down all the abortion clinics in the state, for a woman to leave the state to get an abortion, and anybody who helps her can be sued by anybody in the United States. Plus, they want to ban all sales and importation of abortifacient drugs into Missouri. We'll get into that. Also, Fox Newsers love Rick Scott's radical Republican blueprint. I'll lay that out for you. It's pretty breathtaking. Not only would it end Medicare and Social Security in five years, 
It would also raise taxes on the bottom half of Americans. I mean, significantly raise income taxes. Um, also, a crazy alert, a QAnon uh, Republican supporter for the Michigan legislature has endorsed a call to murder uh, President Biden, Anthony Fauci, and a number of other people. And the Republican Party of Michigan, in the face of this, just said, yeah, we endorse this guy. So a lot going on, plus the news, the, the, at the top of the news. And these are the top two stories over at financialtimes.com. They're echoed at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other national media. But the uh, headline at FT, I think, summarizes uh, one of the two very well. Ukraine accuses Russia of Mariupol hospital bombing atrocity. Russian troops have been bombing this city for a week now. These are clear crimes of war. These are clear war crimes. And today they bombed a hospital that is not near any military facility whatsoever. This is, this is terrorist action. The Russians are now trying to create such terror in the civilian population that they will flee. You know, are they going to repopulate these towns with Russians who are looking for a new town, new apartment or something? Who knows? But they have destroyed this hospital. As Zelensky wrote, people, children are under the wreckage. How much longer will the world be an accomplice ignoring this terror? Uh, Mariupol local officials have said that they now are digging mass graves. They've got so many bodies they cannot deal with them from the Financial Times. Enduring heavy Russian shelling for days, tens of thousands of re residents have been confined to freezing basements and shelters and are living without water, heat, basic sanitation, and a functioning phone net network. They are drinking water from puddles. Think about that. If you were, had to resort to that, to get your water, go looking for a puddle. They've already, you know, emptied their toilet tanks and everything else. It's, uh, there is no water. The International Committee of the Red Cross says the situation is desperate. Homes are, quote, reduced to rubble, and families are, quote, huddled underground for hours on end. The ICRC, this is the International Committee of the Red Cross, said, quote, hundreds of thousands of people have no food, no water, no heat, no electricity, and no medical care. This is the guy that, you know, in the action, actually, that Donald Trump praised as brilliant, genius. Meanwhile, the Chernobyl plant has been disconnected from the power grid. Uh, Ukraine is demanding a ceasefire for urgent repairs. The Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmitryo Kuleba, warned that now that the Russians have disconnected Chernobyl from the power grid, the power grid supplies the electricity that keeps the nuclear fuel that's still there cool. He said that they're running emergency generators right now to circulate water to keep that fuel cool, but those emergency generators only have 48 hours worth of diesel fuel. So two days from this moment, or two days from a few hours ago, when Chernobyl got cut off, um, he is warning, and the world is warning, the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Association, or agency, is also warning. They said that they lost contact with monitoring systems at Chernobyl this morning. They're warning that there could be a massive radiation leak at Chernobyl. So all that's going on. Meanwhile, want to know why gas prices are so high? This is my piece from HartmanReport.com today. It's titled Exposed, the Trump, Putin, and Saudi connection to high gas prices. You know, it's been a couple of years, and so most people have probably forgotten that in 2020, during the pandemic, in April of 2020, as the whole world shut down, as you could look up in the sky and there were no more jet trails, you know, vapor trails and things like that, everything went quiet, the highways were quiet. The demand for oil had collapsed so much that the price of oil was, you know, really, really low. It, it first, it, it got as low as 30 and $40 a barrel. And then the Saudis began punishing the Russians because the Russians wouldn't go along with production cuts to drive the price up. And so the Saudis opened their spigots, and the price of oil actually, it, it went down to $15 a barrel here in the United States. And this is what Reuters wrote at the time. This was April of 2020, quote, despite the agreement to cut a tenth of global production, oil prices continue to fall to historic lows. U.S. oil futures dropped below $0 last week as sellers paid buyers to avoid taking delivery of oil they had no place to store. Brent Futures, the global oil benchmark, fell towards $15 a barrel, a level not seen since the 1999 oil price crash from as high as $70 at the start of the year. So here you have American petrobillionaires and American fossil fuel companies in a crisis. You have 
Putin in Russia in a crisis. 40% of his economy is based on his ability to sell oil, and the price of oil just went to $15 a barrel. And you have the Saudis who can ride this thing out who are basically driving the train. The Saudis had control enough oil that they basically control world oil prices. And they were putting Putin underground here, uh, you know, with regard to oil prices. So what did Donald Trump do? Donald Trump took decisive action as president in April of 2020. He called up Mohammed bin Salman, the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and made a threat that had never been made in the history of the United States against Saudi Arabia. We've had a, 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 a partnership, a military and other partnership alliance with Saudi Arabia for 75 years now, in large part because we need their oil. And Trump threatened them. He said, he said that uh, uh, we will pull back our military support of you guys. We will no longer support you militarily. As, the, uh, as Reuters wrote in an uh, April 30th, 2020 article titled, uh, Trump told Saudi cut oil supplier use military, you lose U.S. military support. This is from the Reuters article at the time. Quote, Trump delivered the message to the crown prince 10 days before the announcement of production cuts. The kingdom's de facto leader was so taken aback by the threat that he ordered his aides out of the room so he could continue the discussion in private according to a U.S. source who was briefed on the discussion by senior administration officials. Kevin Kramer, Senator Kevin Kramer and Senator Dan Sullivan, two Republicans, get big funding from the oil industry, had drafted legislation to pull U.S. troops out of Saudi Arabia, and Trump was using that as a threat. Immediately, Saudi Arabia cut production. Immediately, the price of oil went back up. So now we get to today, where uh, the price of oil is like you know $130 a barrel and it's showing up at the pump all over the place. Uh, Joe Biden called up the Saudis and the Emiratis, the UAE, the two countries that could just very easily restore their production cuts, undo their production cuts, raise the production of oil and lower prices all around the world, which would help the United States and would hurt Russia. So President Biden calls up Saudi Arabia and says, I'd like to talk to you about this. And they refuse to take his call. He calls the Emiratis and said, let's talk about this. And they refuse to take his call. They're still dancing to the tune of Donald Trump, the Saudis and the Emiratis. They're saying to, to the United States through secondary channels that, yeah, we'll talk to you about lowering the price of oil. If you will tell us that bombing Yemen is just fine with you, and if you will give immunity to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman for ordering the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter. And of course, Biden's not going to do those things. And so now the Saudis are, and the Emiratis are basically, you know, holding the price of oil high. And this then helps them and helps the Russians this way. By holding the price of oil high, they are handing a giant lead pipe to the Republicans that they can use to bash Biden over the head with, you know, about gasoline prices here in the United States. That helps get elected Republicans in charge of the House and Senate this fall, Republicans who will do the bidding of the Saudis and of Putin, and helps set up a new Republican president in 2024 who will absolutely do the bidding of the Saudis and the Russians. This is the way that this thing is drifting. This is, this is where it's all going. And nobody's talking about the, the role that Donald Trump, Donald Trump's treachery played in all this, threatening the Saudis and then sucking up to the Saudis. So Saudi Arabia was the first country he went to, you'll recall. And then, you know, but his son-in-law going over to that region and getting a billion dollars and I mean, it's just it, it, it is all so mind bogglingly corrupt. Somebody commented on my piece. This is published over at HarbinReport.com. It's titled Exposed the Putin, Trump, Putin and Saudi connection to high gas prices. Somebody commented on there. Why is it that these oil rich countries always end up being so corrupt? Uh, I'll toss that question to you. We can talk about all this on the other side of this break. Stick around. Right after I tell you about the top four lies that Fox News is promoting about oil prices and gas prices. Bob in Cardiff, California. Hey, Bob, what's up? Uh, yeah, Tom, I've been watching. Actually, I wake up to Stephanie in the morning and then you come on. Uh -huh. 
And I'm about your age, so I do remember. But the one I've got one question about the whole oil thing, which nobody's brought up, and all you guys are smarter than I am. But if if I remember right, seventy three and seventy nine, I was waiting hours in line for gas. Yep, there was a shortage, and I could understand why the price would go up. But there's no line, at, not, at least not in Cardiff by the Sea here, or any place in San Diego or Los Angeles, where my daughter lives, right. where they, where you have to wait if maybe behind one car if, if somebody happens to pull in. No, there's plenty of oil in the United States. It's just that the, that the oil companies in this country are using this international crisis as an excuse to price gouge. All well, of the major it. oil companies in the United States last year, when they started this process, um, showed the, the highest profits in their history. I, I know that, and I've heard that from, from you guys. But I haven't heard anybody relate the fact that there, there's proof that there's no shortage because you can always jump right into a gas station and get gas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, yeah, I mean this is something that just the average person, at least people yep. You're absolutely right, age, Bob. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Thanks, thanks a lot for the call. We'll be right back. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Fox News has rolled out a whole bunch of talking points about this that the Republicans are all running with. MediaMatters.org lays them out that, number one, lie number one, that Biden is discouraging U.S. production because he banned drilling on federal lands. Um, as Mark Brownstein, uh, the energy expert over at the Environmental Defense Fund, points out, quote, at the end of 2020, more than half of the already sold federal leases, this is to drill for oil, right, uh, or frack for gas, Oh, more than half of the already sold federal leases are sitting untapped by the domestic oil and gas industry because even at the recent global price spike of $100 a barrel, it's not profitable for oil and gas companies to significantly ramp up production. The bottom line is that most investors lost money on U.S. oil and gas development over the last 10 years, and they're not enthusiastic about losing more. In other words, they're expecting that this price spike is temporary, number one. And number two, as a caller just, just called in just a moment ago, he said, you know, I remember... Being in line in 73, uh, you know, when the uh, Arab oil embargo took place, and 79 when all the Iranian oil went offline because, because of the, uh, you know, Reagan cutting a deal with the, the Iranian mullahs to hold the American hostages. And then, you know, and then they cut off the oil to the, to the world markets, and, and boom, we had oil shortages. We had gasoline shortages here in the United States in 79 as a result of that. He said, I remember that. He said, where are the lines now? I thought we had a shortage. Well, no, we don't have a shortage. We have plenty of oil and gasoline in the United States. What we have are price gougers, number one. Uh, the second lie that Fox is promoting is that the U.S. was energy independent before Biden. Uh, yeah, theoretically, we produce enough oil to meet our oil needs um, and, you know, arguably our electricity. 
But we have been, you know, when Donald Trump was president, and I, I wrote an op-ed about this and pointed this out, I think Thursday or Friday of last week, when Donald Trump was president, that was when we saw this huge spike in U.S. imports of Russian oil, and, you know, which just got canceled. Uh, number three, another lie that Fox is promoting, canceling the Keystone Pipeline made us dependent on Russian oil. First of all, that oil, uh, first of all, the XL Pipeline was only 8% built. The existing Keystone Pipeline is now carrying that oil from the tar sands in Canada down to refineries on the Gulf Coast where it's being refined. We get the poisons and they're exporting the, the resulting diesel fuel. And, uh, you know, it's been operating since 2010. It's amazing. And then finally, they're claiming that Biden deliberately raised the price of gas so that people would drive less to save the climate. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, just a quick FYI, I'm doing book signings for this new book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us and Our Democracy. And I did one last night, and it was great. I had a lot of fun, and, and I think over 300 people showed up. And we're doing one at Town Hall Seattle. Dot org. And you have to sign up because, you know, they send you a Zoom link and all that kind of stuff. But it's townhallseattle.org. It'll be at 6 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock Eastern time. There's a news story here that I wanted to flag for you, and then I'll pick up your phone calls, that I'm not quite sure what to make of this. Newsweek put this up just a couple hours ago. And this is based on a news briefing that the Russian Foreign Ministry's spokesperson gave in Moscow. Her name is uh, Maria Zakharova, and uh, she came out and just explicitly said that our special military operation was designed for the protection of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics in the Donbass region. In other words, we, all we're trying to do is protect Russian-speaking people in the east of Ukraine. She goes on to say we were also, that they were also pursuing, quote, the demilitarization and denazification, end quote, of Ukraine and wanted to reduce the uh, or eliminate the military threat Ukraine posed to Russia if it joined NATO. But then this just breathtaking statement, she said uh, in this briefing just a few hours ago in Moscow, again, this is the foreign ministry spokesperson, you know, the equivalent of the, sp the spokesperson for Anthony Blinken, you know, um, said that Russian tasks, quote, do not include either the occupation of Ukraine or the destruction of its statehood, nor the overthrow of the current government. Our actions are not directed against the civilian population, she said. Now, you know, that's clearly a lie. But is, I mean, if this, I, I, we'll have to wait a few hours to see if any other parts of Russia contradict this or say, no, no, we are trying to take out Zelensky. He is public enemy number one. But here you've got the spokesperson, at least according to Newsweek. And, uh, you know, the, I, I found the link, by the way, over at democraticunderground.com if you want to check that out, but I'm sure it's flying all over the Internet, of Russia saying that they don't intend to overthrow the Zelensky government. They don't intend to occupy Ukraine. They're just trying to protect those good Russian-speaking people in the East. Is this the beginning of Vladimir Putin's attempt to wiggle his way out of this mess that he's walked himself into? And Applebaum, the Pulitzer Prize-winning historian, is being quoted in a, in a piece over at rawstory.com right now, saying that uh, she thinks that uh, Putin invaded Ukraine because he's been listening to Trump, literally. Uh, Trump had been trashing NATO. She thought that, that uh, or Putin thought, she says P Putin thought that Trump's damage to NATO had been so extensive that NATO would just kind of shrug the shoulders when he went into Ukraine. And that's sure not what happened. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Our book today is Confessions of a Rogue Nuclear Regulator by Gregory B. Jaxo, former chairman of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I'm going to start with the last paragraph of chapter one, and then I'll start reading chapter two. In hindsight, the Fukushima incident revealed what has long been the sad truth about nuclear safety. The nuclear power industry has developed too much control over the NRC and Congress. In the aftermath of the accident, I found myself moving from my role as a scientist impressed by nuclear power to a fierce nuclear safety advocate. I now believe that nuclear power is more hazardous than it's worth. 
four days before President Obama tapped me to lead the commission. I spoke at a conference organized by the North American Young Generation in Nuclear, an industry group of professionals entering the field as nuclear operators, designers of reactors, or academic experts in nuclear technology. As I looked out at the crowd, it dawned on me that many of these people had never lived through a nuclear power accident. Even if I had been only nine years old when Three Mile Island occurred, when Chernobyl happened, I was a teenager more worried about surviving my freshman year of high school than about nuclear disaster. The people I was speaking to were even younger. I wondered how they had experienced these seminal events. Being a scientist, I decided to conduct an experiment. I asked everyone in the audience to stand if they were born after 1979, the year of Three Mile Island. Nearly everyone stood. After they sat down, I asked them to stand if they were born after 1986, the date of the Chernobyl accident. Once again, nearly everyone stood. These industry-defining accidents have become dry case studies taught in college classes. The next generation of American nuclear power professionals has never experienced the confusion of a nuclear accident as it is happening. And so it's essential that we remember and teach the lessons of Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. For reviewing these accidents shows common themes of missed opportunity, human failings, and technological overconfidence. No amount of forgetting can change these simple facts. The March 1979 accident at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant in Pennsylvania seems almost like something out of a science fiction horror film. The cover of Time magazine captured the national mood of chaos, confusion, and fear. The emergency red phrase nuclear nightmare slashed across the dark black cooling towers of the plant. There was no live streamed video as there would be after the Fukushima accident, but the public could imagine the scene inside the reactor. Just 12 days before the accident, the China Syndrome, a feature film starring Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas as reporters who uncover a major incident in a nuclear plant, had been released. Perhaps the hundreds of journalists gathered outside Harrisburg believed they too would land such a story. It started on March 28th at around 4 a.m. when a water pump stopped working. The failed pump affected the steam generators, large cylinders filled with many tiny metal tubes that helped turn hot water from the nuclear engine into steam so that the turbines can generate electricity. When the flow of water was cut off, this massive heat exchange stopped working, creating the conditions for a serious accident. The reactor engine was immediately turned off, but so long as the reactor fuel remained hot, which it would for quite some time, its natural radioactive decay would continue, producing enough heat, called decay heat, to melt through the metal containers and closing the reactor fuel. The same problem would later affect Fukushima. And then he goes through the whole process there. Confessions of a Rogue Nuclear Regulator by Gregory B. Jackso. Okay, picking up your phone calls. Ziggy in Oneonta, uh, New York. Hey, Ziggy, what's up? I have gas pump stickers. And those stickers say? One of them says, Humped at the Pump by Comrade Trump. And the other one says, High prices. Thank your Republican politician who takes bribes called donations from big oil. Wow. Very cool. Well, yeah. Ziggy, let us know how it goes. And keep up the great yeah. work. And thanks for that great uh, suggestion. You know, Humped at the Trump by Comrade Trump. Actually, I didn't come up with it. It came up from one of the other listeners. Another caller. I, I don't okay. want to say I stole it, but, uh, you know. He uh, ran with it. A lot of the, yeah, I yeah. ran with God it. God bless you. That's what we need to do. Ziggy, I need to move along, but thank you for the call, and good luck. Uh, keep us up to date. Cindy in Newcastle, Wyoming. Hey, Cindy, what's on your mind today? Well, the issue that Russia shut down all the news coming out of Russia. Hmm. And into Russia. If you notice, no, they're, they're shutting down news coming out of Russia. If you notice, the Europeans took RT down, and when Putin retaliated by taking, you know, kicking out BBC and all of those, now Europe can only hear the European narrative. They cannot hear anything coming out of Russia. We just took down RT in the United States, so we can no longer hear what's coming out. So we're, we're getting a one-sided narrative also. And when... You only hear one side of an argument. It's easy to stir up anger and fear and focus that on a given target mm -hmm. because you have nothing to compare to. 
we all become mushrooms and they keep us in the darkest. No, I, I, I totally get what you say, Cindy. Uh, you know, a couple of days ago, somebody called in and said, you know, should we take RT off the air in the United States? And I said, no, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the First Amendment and I think people should be able to make up their own minds. It's not like it's not clearly labeled. You know, it's hard to deal with people. You cannot reason with someone when they're angry and afraid. Yeah. And when we're only hearing what the mainstream media wants us to hear, everybody is angry and afraid, and they can focus that anger on Russia when we're just as big as they are. Well, we're actually a lot bigger than they are, but, uh, you know, if, I, I get your point. Cindy, thank you very much for the call. Anita in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Anita, how's, how's Texas today? Texas is fine right now. I mean, other than Greg Abbott still. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Putin might be attacking Poland or Latvia or something like that. I if, think if it wasn't for NATO right now. You're absolutely well, right. Wasn't. And they would be next if it wasn't for NATO. And I think that, you know, this, I, I, let's hope that what the Russian foreign minister's spokesperson just said is translated into actual action on the battlefield that Russia and I think frankly I you know this is where I disagree with the current administration I think that those Polish MiGs that Poland has yeah. said we'll send those to Germany to Ramstein Air Force Base with the US controls so we'll hand those over to the US and the US can hand them over to the Ukrainians we don't want to be the ones who are targeted by Russia for being part of this uh, we will do this and and the Biden administration is saying no, we don't want to we don't want to get our fingers dirty on this, and I think we should, frankly. I, I do think I that we should be giving I, I these planes to Ukraine. Yeah, no, I, I you know what? It's such a hard. Yeah, this is really we're in such a, a bad situation because we're watching these these like Maripol where these these cities are under siege and there's like three hundred thousand people there. Yeah, and they're starving no and they're drinking water, no drinking food. water out of puddles and they're freezing. Yeah, and and, yeah, not, and, no. it's, and they just bombed a children's hospital, for God's sake. We don't, but, but I know, but Putin, I, I understand we shouldn't, you know, uh, let him blackmail us this way. Yeah. But I also, you know, I mean, Biden's in a bad situation. He's trying to keep us out of a World War III, a nuclear war. Yeah. No, or, I get it. And I totally get time, it. I totally get it. Uh, I, I do think, though, that, you know, so far... We have provided Ukraine with lots of lethal weaponry. Over 20 Russian airplanes yep. have been shot out of the sky with American weapons that America provided to Ukraine. And Putin has not said, oh, you're involved in this war um, or has not retaliated, uh, you know, based no. on that. And I don't see I, where, you know, providing jets to do the same thing that we're doing different. with, you know, Patriot missiles and Stinger missiles, uh, you know, shoulder fired missiles is any. Yeah. Is any different? Yeah. Um, but that's no, just I my agree. opinion. I'm not a policymaker here. And it's real easy to sit behind a desk in, in, in yeah. you know, the Pacific Northwest and opine about these things. I get it. It's a real tough one. And and the Biden administration, no doubt, has more information than I do. I'm not criticizing them for this. I'm just saying my personal opinion is that I well, think that it's time for those, those Polish planes to, to take Poland up on their offer. The, the fear is that he'll use tactical nuclear, nuclear weapons. You well, know? they may, but that training. doesn't necessarily lead us to a nuclear war. That just means that they use battlefield nukes and, and they get condemned by the whole world. But I really don't think they're going to be lobbying SS-19s at New York City. But, you know, I could be wrong. Anita, <laughs> thank you for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the Tom Hartman program, fair and only slightly unbalanced. Back with more of your calls on the other side of this break. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs. 
www.georgetown.edu/podcast. Somebody yesterday had asked, "I want to send some money to Ukraine. How do I do it?" Daily Kos has put together a, a good fundraiser uh, through Act Blue, and it splits your donation among six uh, organizations that are working there. But you can also just go to actblue.com, which is their main homepage, and just and there's a search box there, and just put the word Ukraine into that search box, and a bunch of Ukrainian charities pop right up. So just a heads up on that. I you know I know that a couple of people actually have asked about that, and I've seen Twitter requests. I personally contributed some money through the Daily Kos one, which got split among six charities that are working there. So. I wanted to share with you a couple, a couple of very bizarre stories. This one, remember Mike Pence and the periods for Pence? Mike Pence was governor of Indiana. And as governor of Indiana, he wanted to uh, make sure that women who got pregnant uh, did not terminate their pregnancies, did not have abortions. And so he was trying to put into place a statewide mechanism where they could basically monitor women to see if once they are acknowledged to be pregnant, once they get a positive pregnancy test, um, that the state can start tracking them, essentially, to make sure that they don't get an abortion. And I mean, you can just Google periods for Pence. It's, it was hysterical, actually, because he never actually put it into place. He tried. But the response was that for months, women across Indiana were texting him or tweeting him uh, using social media to say, hey, uh, Mike, my, my period just started. Not, not to worry, I got another 30 days, uh, you know, that I'm, you know. And Pence became kind of the, a joke in the Midwest as a result of that. Well, now it's getting, now it's getting more serious. In Missouri, a uh, pro-Trump acolyte, uh, State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, a Republican Missouri State Representative, uh, has proposed legislation, uh, fi- by a bill that, that allows anyone in the country to sue if a Missouri resident leaves the state to ac- access abortion services. She's using the, the, uh, the vigilante strategy that the Texas legislation to stop abortion was using. But this is not to stop abortions in Missouri. It's to stop any woman who lives in Missouri from getting an abortion anywhere. She also has an amendment that would make it illegal to manufacture, transport, possess, or distribute abortion pills in Missouri. That would include doctors, pharmacies, everybody. Basically criminalize abortion pills. Her bill would, quote, target anyone even tangentially involved in an abortion performed on a Missouri resident, including the hotline staffers who make the appointments, the marketing representatives who advertise out-of-state clinics, and the Illinois and Kansas-based doctors who handle the procedure. uh, She is, by the way, an attorney who was the attorney for this far-right anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ group, the Thomas More Society, M-O-R-E, as in the old, you know, British theocrat or or advocate of theocracy. Uh, Thomas More, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, burned uh, six people, as I recall, to death. One of them he tortured in his own bedroom uh, before burning to death. I may be misremembering, but that's my recollection of Thomas More. Anyhow, this, uh, (laughs) the Thomas More Society's former lawyer, State Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, uh, wants to pass this bill in Missouri. I, I don't, you know, I mean, the, the article over at uh, the new civil rights movement.com is, you know, bonkers. And MAGA lawmaker turns to Texas vigilantism for bill banning women from leaving Missouri to end, end pregnancies. Yeah, it's bonkers, but I'm not, I'm not ready to say that they can't do it, that, that they won't pull it off, that they won't make it happen. I think it's entirely possible. It's entirely, absolutely entirely possible. Also, uh, over at Fox News, Rick Scott has become a regular. He's, he's made over 30 appearances, uh, 36, 38 actually, weekday appearances on Fox News since Joe Biden took office. You know, high profile appearances. Senator Rick Scott, uh, also known as Skeletor, is the, uh, the fellow who ran a big hospital group out of Florida that was convicted of the largest Medicare fraud in the history of America. 
he took his millions from, from that gig and ran for governor of Florida, was the governor for eight years, where he uh, consistently, year after year, prevented Florida from taking Medicare funds, Medicaid funds, excuse me, from the federal government to expand Medicaid so that low-income working people could get uh, health insurance. The, the same Rick Scott. He then went, he then took his millions and leveraged himself into the United States Senate where he's, he and Marco Rubio are the two Republican senators from Florida, the only two senators the state has in the, in the United States Senate, uh, where he now is running for president. This guy, I mean, he's not, he hasn't declared he's running for president, but this guy clearly wants to be president. He is, by the way, the head of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. And as such, as the head of that committee, he's the one who raises tens or hundreds of millions of dollars from wealthy donors and big corporations and funnels that money into the pockets of Republicans running, Republican senators running for re-election. So A, he's got a bunch of Republican senators who are you know, just desperately in his pocket. And B, he's handling enormous amounts of campaign money from these donors that he's getting to know very, very well because he's talking to them every day or you know, quite regularly as he's raising money for other Republicans running for the Senate, which positions him perfectly to be the guy in 2024 who's going to be the Republican nominee for president. He's also fully and fluently bilingual, Spanish-English. And uh, the and we are watching in real time. I've been yelling about this on the radio here for years now. This this started in a big way at the at the tail end of the Bush administration, actually. But it really picked up steam when Obama became president in 2009. That uh, right wingers, wealthy right wingers, have been leasing radio stations around the country, and flipping them Spanish language and putting Spanish language versions of Rush Limbaugh, local versions, on the air. And there are hundreds of these stations now across the United States. And there are some syndicated right-wing Spanish language shows. And the main things that they've been doing is repeating Republican talking points about, you know, Democrats just want to turn your kids gay and, and support black people and have, them take, have black people take jobs away from good Hispanic people. And... It's all about abortion, keeping in mind that the vast majority of, of uh, Hispanics are Catholic. So uh, Rick Scott is in a position to, uh, and, and, and we've seen the, the Hispanic vote shift about 10% toward the Republican Party just in the last four years. And uh, it, you know, it's, it's not a, a guaranteed Democratic vote. And Rick Scott is so fully bilingual, he could, he, I, I think this guy would have a really serious chance of becoming president of the United States. And so what does he do? He comes out with his own version of Newt Gingrich's contract on America. I told you about this last week. But now, uh, raising the stakes, Fox News, MediaMatters.org has this story. The headline, Fox Newsers rally around Rick Scott's radical GOP blueprint. Rick Scott's program would end Social Security and Medicare in five years. It would, it would cause the bottom, remember when Mitt Romney pointed out the 47% of Americans don't pay income taxes? 47% of Americans, and it's now over 50%, earn so little money that their income, you know, the, the standard deduction is greater than their income. That they earn so little, so little money that they don't owe federal income taxes. Now, they do pay Social Security taxes, although Rick Scott wants to do away with that. They do pay Medicare taxes. Rick Scott wants to do away with that. They do pay state and local taxes. They do pay gas tax. They do pay sales tax. They do pay property taxes, whether directly as property owners or indirectly through their rent. They pay, all, you know, they pay taxes and fees to register their vehicle. They pay all kinds of taxes. But Rick Scott says they need to have skin in the game, which was the argument that we heard in the 1960s from Republicans about why 20% of Medicare should not be, you know, that, that there should be this 20% hole in Medicare that we fill now with these Medigap policies because people have to have skin in the game. It's a slogan that is relatively meaningless. But, you know, Fox News, Laura Ingram praised the unabashedly populist plan to end Social Security and Medicare and raise taxes on, on working, working class Americans. His plan features a call to treat socialism as a foreign combatant to you know, a, a, an eliminationist treatment of trans people, 
Uh, it promotes the big lie that Democrats want to, quote, destroy our democracy through election rigging, end quote. In other words, black people voting. Uh, he, he wants to bring back austerity politics, you know, the Reagans, Reaganism, basically. And at the same time that he wants to have, you know, the bottom 47% of Americans economically start paying income taxes, he wants to cut the funding of the IRS and their workforce by 50%. So even the very small number of audits of really rich people that the IRS is able to do right now will just dry up altogether. Laura Ingram is loving it. Sean Hannity says, uh, quote, I want to applaud you. Yeah, here we are. So get ready. Hang on to your hats and don't say, you know, when, when Rick Scott pops up as, as the dark horse Republican candidate and suddenly is in the lead in 2024, don't say I didn't warn you. I got to tell you about this wacky QAnon supporter who is now being embraced by Republicans in the state of Michigan. And I'll pick up your phone calls after this break. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Speaking the truth to multinational corporations, we really rather you didn't know. I'll be right back. Our crazy alert for the day. This is a, a guy in, 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 in Michigan. He's running for a seat in the State House of Representatives. His name is Robert Regan, R-E-G-A-N. And he has endorsed killing President Joe Biden. He endorsed killing Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand. He endorsed killing Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And most enthusiastically, he thinks that Dr. Anthony Fauci should be put to death. He is advising people to study and apply QAnon to their lives like they do with the Bible. He claimed that Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman, remember the, the the, 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 the black cop who on the, up on the second floor of the Capitol building said to all those rioters as they were coming in, follow me this way, you know, basically. And so they turned left and followed him instead of turning right where they would have gotten into the, into the Capitol chamber where they could have, you know, taken out some legislators. This, this hero, he says, uh, oh, that was staged. Uh, <laughs> right. This is the guy. This guy is running for the state house in Michigan. Now, you would think that the Republican Party, looking at the fact that this guy has called for the assassination of four world leaders, or three world leaders, and Dr. Fauci, and has said that you know people in Michigan need to apply QAnon to their lives the way that they you know live by the Bible. You need to add QAnon to that. You would think that the Republican Party would say, eh, "We'll pass on this guy." But nope, they just endorsed him. He has been on Fox News, he's been on Newsmax, he's been on WOOD, big radio station in Grand Rapids. Um, he appeared in an online video with a right-wing group. This is the guy who said, and I quote, I tell my daughters, well, if rape is inevitable, you should just lie back and enjoy it, end quote. Yes, he said that. Robert Regan just endorsed by the Republican Party for the, for, the, for the House of Representatives in the state of Michigan. He posted a meme from a pro-Nazi website claiming that feminism is, quote, a Jewish program to degrade and subjugate white men. He, he uh, shared a piece from a fringe site claiming that Jewish people, led by the Rothschild family, were responsible for 9-11, assassinated President Lincoln, assassinated President Kennedy, and control our banks and media. He claimed that Russia's invasion of Ukraine was, quote, a fake war, just like the fake pandemic. What is the Republican Party of Michigan thinking? I mean, they've already got people who tried to kidnap and murder their governor. They've got, you know, they, they weren't Republican legislators, but they were, you know, Trumpies. They've got this, the, uh, this huge right-wing militia movement in Michigan. They've got, uh, Michigan is one of, you know, the handful, uh, about a, a little fewer than a dozen. Michigan and Oregon, here in Oregon it happened. It happened in Arizona. It happened, I believe, in New Mexico. I could be wrong. It happened in, in a number of states where, you know, right-wing Republican insurrectionists, you know, Trumpies, tried to seize the state capitol. That happened in Michigan. Again, they were waving Republican flags, Trump flags. What does the Republican Party of Michigan think its future is? Do they really think that having a Mussolini-style uh, fascist state is like the ideal thing? 
Is that the is that what the price they're willing to pay in exchange for for having white supremacy in the state? I mean, this at the end of the day, that's really what this is all about. This is this is the new version of the Klan. And the Republican Party has totally gotten in bed with these people. What the hell? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Storm is Upon Us by Mike Rothschild. The subtitle, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything. This is from Chapter 2. It's titled The Calm Before the Storm, How QAnon Started. Like so many recent lurches into the bizarre and inscrutable, the QAnon conspiracy theory began with a cryptic comment made by America's first conspiracy theorist president, Donald Trump. And like so many of Trump's other conspiracy adventures, it was a comment that was understood by nobody around him. On the night of Tuesday, October 5th, 2017, Trump called the White House press corps, who had been dismissed for the day, back to the state dining room. The president was holding court with top-ranking military officers and their families, enjoying the pageantry and adoration of his office. Military salutes, pomp and circumstance, a motorcade at your beck and call, and a briefcase full of nuclear codes that could destroy the world. In that magnificent room, with cameras clicking away, Trump stood in the middle of a line of uniformed and evening-gowned military staffers and spouses, looking around, enjoying what he saw. And in that muddle, speaking to nobody in particular, a tone into which Trump so often dropped when speaking off the cuff, he casually launched a conspiracy theory that would shatter America's brain. You guys know what this represents? Trump asked the room full of press. They did not. Tell us, sir, said one reporter as cameras clicked and generals duly smiled. Maybe it's the calm before the storm, the president quietly intoned, as if he were the holder of a great secret that he could no longer contain. When one of the reporters reasonably asked what the storm was that he was referring to, Trump continued his cryptic riddle, could be the calm before the storm. Then there was silence as Trump and the best and brightest of the military continued to grin and cameras continued to snap. Finally, he spoke again. We have the world's great military people in this room. I will tell you that, he continued, pumping his fist and moving his hand around in a circular motion. Uh, we're going to have a great evening, he concluded. Then he thanked everyone for coming and began ushering out the reporters who he had just ushered in. But the media wasn't done and the questions kept coming. What storm, Mr. President? You'll find out, Trump said to nervous titters among staffers as White House aides desperately tried to wrap things up before the president said anything so else so potentially war-starting. The whole exchange lasted less than 40 seconds. It was just one comment in a presidency full of strange utterances, empty boasts, misspelled threats, and unhinged ramblings about things that may or may not exist. Naturally, it was also the only thing the media wanted to discuss the next day. After all, when you got a room full of high-ranking military officers surrounding the head of the National Command Authority as he makes ominous proclamations, questions do need to be asked. Was Trump hitting, hinting at a new offensive against ISIS? A preemptive strike in North Korea or Iran? Something even worse that wasn't on anybody's radar? Follow-up questions the next day didn't help matters as Trump merely smirked, winked, and repeated, you'll find out when asked about the storm as he took questions during a cabinet meeting. The rest of the Trump administration scrambled to make it clear that whatever Trump was talking about, they had nothing to do with it. Vice President Mike Pence told reporters to take it up with his boss. Then Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders offered up this word salad, quote, as we've said many times before, I know the president has as I have from this podium on quite a few occasions, we're never going to say in advance what the president's going to do, end quote. Trump's enemies of the people, as he was fond of calling them in the mainstream media, were clueless as well. Vox called the remark odd and ominous, while NBC News labeled it as simply cryptic. The Washington Post lamented that the stridently stupid remark had put the world on edge, and the New York Times rhetorically asked, what did the president mean by that remark? It was clear that nobody knew. 
But while the mainstream media was trying to figure out exactly what Trump meant, if indeed he meant anything at all, a few anonymous Trump admire, admirers decided they knew exactly what it meant, and they liked it. Not only was it indeed related to a military operation, it was the first public stirring of a secret and enormous one involving people at the very top of the food chain being brought to justice in the bloodiest way possible. Once revealed in full to the American public, most of whom were too far asleep to recognize it, it would change the face of American life for good. And so, in a few posts on 4chan, a movement that would soon be called QAnon was born. The anonymous avatar that would lead to madness and murder started as another in a long line of 4chan posters who claimed to be a whistleblower letting their readers in on closely held secrets. Rather confusingly, these accounts are also known as anons, not to be confused with the term for people who read and interpret Q's drops. 4chan is an image board that was launched in 2003 by a 15-year-old New Yorker as an English-language counterpart to the hugely popular Japanese image board 2chan. It offers total anonymity, virtually no moderation, and lightning speed information flow in a way that is so chaotic it makes the board almost illegible to outsiders. The book The Storm is Upon Us by Mike Rothschild. Kelly in Humboldt County, California. Hey, Kelly, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on Free Speech. Yeah, I was just wondering, you know, I watched this thing with Biden and they turned Putin into this big enemy, which, you know, he is, I guess, bombing Ukraine and everything. I mm -hmm. see this as really bad. But I never hear anybody say anything about Saudi Arabia. I mean, here he's shut off buying oil from Ukraine, but yet... He supplies weapons to Saudi Arabia so they can go bomb a country, Yemen. And it just, you know, I just wonder, you know, it's kind of hypocritical, I think, of his organization. I mean, I feel Who's the, the he you're talking about here? Yeah, as, you know, they. they Hang on, just a second, Kelly. Who is the he you're talking about? You said it's hypocritical of his organization. What? Who's? Well, his? I'm talking about you know the Biden administration. The okay, American the Biden administration has condemned the Saudi attacks on Yemen. And Saudi Arabia is refusing to increase oil production right now from the levels that Donald Trump that. drove it down to because, because they are pissed off that Biden has condemned their attack on Yemen. Right, but didn't he just sell a bunch of weaponry to Saudi Arabia not too long back? That was, well, they delivered it. That was weaponry that was negotiated well, that was and transacted under the Trump administration. Yes. Okay, well, I get that. I just wondered about that because I, you know, here they... Biden is not falling all over himself to help out Saudi Arabia right now. And, and, he has, and, and also, there's several lawsuits against Mohammed bin Salman, you know, MBS, the, the basic the leader of Saudi Arabia. He, American lawsuits that MBS wants stopped for his murdering Jamal Khashoggi. And, and Biden's refusing to stop those lawsuits, too. So it's well, not like we are treating Saudi Arabia with kid gloves, Kelly. We, we very much are not. Um, Kelly, thanks for the call. Chris in Littleton, Colorado. Hey, Chris, what's up? Chris? Yeah, hello. Hey, what's on your mind? Hello. Uh, yeah, I'd like to say all of America and democracy's worst enemies are powered by fossil fuels economically. Take away the demand for fossil fuels and they collapse. I agree. When... We need to electrify the world. Hydro, geothermal, they're all free for everyone. And we could also eliminate the risk of our big centralized power grid that's vulnerable to attack by dispersing green energy. Yep. And global warming, the biggest threat, can only be stopped if we quit pumping carbon into the atmosphere by using fossil fuels. Yeah. You are echoing an op-ed I wrote, I think, Friday of last week, in which I pointed out that you know, if uh, if Ukraine had solar panels on every person's rooftop, they wouldn't be, you know, freezing in the cold because the Russians blew up their power stations or cut off their, their, their electric lines. And here in the United States, we wouldn't be at the mercy of power companies like, you know, down in Texas, Greg Abbott gave the green light for the power companies to charge up to, as I recall, what was it, $7,000 a kilowatt hour or something like that, or megawatt hour, uh, you know, 1,000 kilowatt hours. Um, uh, yeah. it, it was just mind-boggling. I mean, you know, and Abbott just said, go for it, guys. And by the way, don't forget your campaign contributions to my campaign. 
And, uh, you know, Texans are having to pay the price. Our economy would boom with the green energy. Oh, you bet. You bet. And that's why there was $400 billion to do that here in the United States in the Build Back Better legislation that got killed by every Republican in the United States Senate and Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. These people are basically have, have positioned themselves as enemies of the United States with regard at least to this energy policy. And it's, of course, it's because they're dancing to the tune of fossil fuel billionaires. Chris, thanks a lot for the call. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, and the folks who run our uh, chat room over on YouTube, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carter Verdi. Thank you to you all. And thank you for listening and watching our program. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 